the plastic overshoot day basically is the date after which we have, as, an, as humanity, used up all of the available waste management infrastructure and system. And it means that every other day after the plastic overshoot day, the plastic that we consume will end up directly into the environment. I guess in the past we had the recycler people uh, with a mindset of circularity saying, saying we can solve the problem with just more circularity. And we had, let's say, the no plastic people saying we just don't need to use no plastic for many reasons. I guess these two extreme mindsets are going to join uh, together more and more because more and more science is, is there to show that it's not only about waste management, it's also about toxicity. Welcome to Plastisphere, the podcast on plastics, people, and the planet. My name is Anja Krieger. The Global Plastics Treaty is in the making, and the discussions around solutions to plastic pollution are gaining traction. To give you more food for thought, I'm trying out a new format, the Plastisphere Conversations. As you might know, many of my episodes are narrated stories, with many different voices and lots of music and sound. I truly love making them, and I won't stop, but they can take forever, weeks to months. So in between, I'd like to share with you the conversations I'm having with interesting people in the field. And this is the first one. I met up with Sarah Perea and Julien Boucher from the Plastic Overshoot Project. Isn't it called the Earth Overshoot, you might wonder? Well, yes, Sarah and Julien took inspiration from that. In 2023, they first calculated the Plastic Overshoot Day, which falls on July 28th. And the calculations behind this day reveal the different challenges for countries around the world. But first, Sarah and Julien told me their own stories, which are very telling when it comes to the issue and its solutions. Here's Sarah. I started actually working within the plastic industry 15 years ago, Uh, in a large industrial plastic uh, manufacturer. And this is actually where I, I learned um, about the consequence of plastic um, after quite a few years that I was uh, working there. Um, so with, you know, really this um, narrative of plastic helps develop the world, plastics uh, allows to decarbonize the world, etc. And then I just discovered about the Great Pacific Patch and uh oceans uh, filled with plastic and so on, which at the time when I started were really not visible at all. And so I was I was quite full of outrage, I think, having been part of that without really knowing it. Um, and I was vocal about it uh, internally. So I was given a chance to actually be part of the solution from the inside. Um, and I was said, okay, so if we're doing really like bad things, uh, come help uh, figure things out instead of criticizing it. And that's how I started working on um, trying to make plastic more circular, uh, working in different countries, collection and recycling initiatives, etc. With, of course, really like a range of the vision that was very um, focused or not having the big picture at the time. And, and also having worked on projects in the field, uh, in developing countries which were lacking infrastructure, etc. 
um, when I look back, realizing the the corporate um, influence over projects that really felt that were right. But then now when I look back, I'm actually pretty skeptical about some of those projects that I actually was running and, and I was feeling like I was part of the solution, etc. And I realized that things were actually not sustainable. It was, um, I would call it today, greenwashing for many of the things. Um, so it allowed me to really shift towards working more on system change and what were the needed mechanisms actually to uh, reduce the plastic uh, pollution crisis. So I started working on extended producer responsibility with governments. And then really that's where the focus of better science came in and actually where uh, Julien and I started working together because I needed data to understand what were uh, the right interventions that the industry should focus on. And um, and obviously, once you start looking through the lenses of science, there are a lot of other things that you hadn't necessarily um, seen or heard before because you were looking at things with a very narrow view of it uh, that appears more and more uh, bigger and bigger, let's say. Um, that's when I started really feeling... Uh, um, a disconnect between what I was trying to do and what and the and the agenda that I had to have in order to be able to pursue that from the industry side. So I decided to leave the corporate world about four years ago, um, but I didn't want to work completely outside of it because I also value a lot what I learned from working within the industry. Um, I think in order to change a system, you really need to understand it. But it was also getting harder and harder to actually change it from the inside when um, my agenda and my understanding of what was needed to actually change the system was more and more obviously incompatible with um, the industry growth agenda uh, for plastic. And so I left the industry, continued to work with the industry and with NGOs and others from the outside as a consultant. Uh, this is when one of my projects actually uh, led me to, to try to put together a global database on plastic flows in the world. And that's when we started collaborating uh, with Julien. We were in, from different sites at the time. We had a very large project approved, supported by uh, industry, actually. Um, and then along the lines, I think what we were trying to do became a little too transparent and as a result, risky for some uh, some industry players. And the project was rescoped uh, into something that we felt was meaningless. Um, so I left this project again. And then we, a few months after, we decided together with Julien to actually launch it by ourselves without funding or a little, little bit of funding uh, and a lot of hard work from our teams. Um, now we really try to have this balanced approach of, on one hand, creating the science um, and using it for action uh, in order to actually raise the bar for corporations who have a very progressive narrative, let's say, and we try to hold them accountable for following up on this uh, progressive narrative. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's such an interesting story. Um, Julien, where did you come from before you uh, met Sarah? And how, and how did that first project um, develop once you started collaborating? Yeah, so I, I guess my life pathway is a bit the opposite of Sarah's. 
I am a scientist as a background, and then I more and more came to work closer to the industry. I guess I didn't want to stay in the academic. I wanted faster moving projects. I wanted more direct impact. So I, I quickly became um, a consultant, let's say. Uh, Where in the sciences did you work or what was your discipline yeah, or field or uh, expertise? I mean, environmental science in general and, and, uh, and as, a, as a speciality, um, water treatment. So developing processes to clean uh, polluted water. Uh, at that time, I mean, we are based in Switzerland, so we were working, I was working during my, my PhD on treating uh, contaminated water from, from Swiss chemical industry. And then during my, my PhD, the, the industry came on and said to my supervisor, okay, quite interesting what you are doing, but we have moved, moved our production in somewhere in Southeast Asia. So you don't, we don't need the process for cleaning the water anymore. So I finished my PhD, but I was very pissed off and I decided I want to stop working on end of pipe type of solutions, but I want to work more upstream to develop more systemic solutions. And this is how I started working on LCA, um, so lifecycle assessment, um, trying to eco-design products and services and systems so we avoid the problems at the first place and we are not trying to solve the problems afterwards. So this is basically my where I come from, so quite technical background, but then started to try to take a more systemic view of things and to, let's say, anticipate the problem. And to do so, what you basically need is tools, I would say, uh, or we can say metrics to better understand the system you are studying. So this is how I went into LCA, lifecycle assessment, which is basically footprinting and developing metrics and, and methodologies and frameworks to assess the environmental impacts of products, mm -hmm. right? So I became... Um, what we call uh, what we we call a research consultant or activist consultant and we are really trying to put ourselves in between science consulting and activism to try to find this sweet spot where we can have the most impact in a way by being uh, fast being science driven and having some sort of passion or mission that is really embedded in what we are doing so we are really trying to create an impact And because water is important for me, as, as on a personal note, I, I, I always try to work on water-related topics. And um, 10 years ago, I, I guess um, almost now the plastic uh, topic became something, right? We were, it was not only about chemical pollution, it was also about plastics and microplastics. So coming from the LCA, life cycle assessment world, I said, well, this is not accounted for in the tools we are currently using to inform the private sector on how to do better products, right? So we need new ways to account for plastic pollution. And this is basically how I started working on developing the plastic footprint concept and the plastic footprint methodology and the data uh, that you need to run this type of models. And this is joining what... Sarah just mentioned, you need a lot of data to do this type of assessment. There are lots of data out there, but it's some sort of data mess. So our work has also been uh, to try to clean the mess, to, to create some more robust and, and comprehensive data sets that 
we can use, we can now use to really um, better understand the systems we are working with and try to derive better solutions um, for the packaging mm -hmm. or for the textile industry, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, life cycle analysis is also often cited to say that plastics are relatively um, impact-free compared to other materials. So, but what you're saying is that the life cycle analysis did not account for the pollution, the plastic pollution, the microplastic pollution? Yeah, that, that's the point. I mean, if you look at classical LCA, um, I mean, mainly focusing on energy and, and carbon footprint, in many cases, you will see that plastic is quite a good option because it's lightweight. So when you transport it, when you, you have less food waste, etc., etc. So unfortunately, and I did quite a lot of projects of this type, you do an eco-design for, for a packaging for a company, you, you end up saying plastic is the best option. This is what we did in the past. Um, and, and I realized there is something wrong with that. But the reason why there is something wrong is we are missing a, a measurement, an assessment of plastic pollution, right? It was, it was not part of, of the game in a way. From an accounting perspective, no plastic was leaking into the environment in these analyses, while in reality, it's happening everywhere. So this is basically what you, you need to factor in back. So you can then take a decision with having both plastic pollution and carbon footprint on other metrics, toxicity and all this stuff in mind when you, you take some um, design decisions. That's for sure. And then uh, maybe something to mention too is that if you take a broader picture, so you're not, not just looking at, at the packaging for a given purpose, where if you do so from a carbon footprint perspective, plastic may be a good option. But if you take a broader view of things and you look at the, the full, let's say, food system, and you are, if you are thinking about a food product with a pack, you realize that uh, in a way, Plastic is just one part of the problem. The, the, the problem is we have a very global uh, food or supply chain system with a lot of transportation, with a lot of impacts everywhere, where plastic may be quite a good solution if you keep this. You cannot just remove plastic and, and keep all the rest the same. You will create many other problems by, by just using another material. So to remove plastic, you must not only change the material, but you must change, in a way, the, the logistic and the value chain that is behind the product. And and this is why LCA may be misleading if you just look at the pack. Um, yeah, that, that was just a side note, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, very interesting. Just, just to say that also in a different uh, way, what it means is that plastic actually enables the type of economy that we have today, that is cheap, that is globalized, with complicated uh, supply chains and value chains. And somehow the, the bigger picture issue that we have is a problem of overconsumption, which fuels the climate crisis. And a lot of that, even though on an individual Uh, item, if you compare a life cycle assessment of a product packaged in plastic or a product packaged in something else or made of plastic or made of something else, plastic is winning from a, an LCA perspective often. It also actually enables this huge consumption that 
might otherwise not be happening. And so this is where some, somehow this is also the limits of looking sometimes at very precise metrics without integrating the broader system that uh, is created as a result and that leads to actually more consumption than you had before. So and that is just not integrated in, in life cycle assessments, in, uh, in the way that we can look at it. So it, it's good to just kind of take a step back and, and remember that plastic enables this overconsumption. Right, right. And I mean, we're, we're exceeding the planetary boundaries pretty much almost on all levels, right? Um, so we have multiple crises. Um, it's, people often talk about the triple planetary crisis, right? Climate change, biodiversity loss, um, and the pollution But there's also so many other things like land use, like fertilizer input and so forth. Um, so that brings us to the system that is basically producing the unsustainable situation that we have to get out of to go into a better future. Um, and I think one concept that was brought in to make that clear how much we are overusing the planet is the Earth Overshoot Day, right? Yeah, absolutely. This has been a huge inspiration for us um, because obviously on a daily basis, we develop the pretty geeky science, the stuff that we are used to discussing with scientists or with people in the environmental field. But we really have this sort of um, mission internally of also breaking down the ivory tower of science and making it available for citizens, for NGOs, um, for governments, etc., basically for all stakeholders that have a role to play. And we strongly believe that every stakeholder has a role to play from citizen um, to uh, industry, etc. But uh, we also realize that a lot of what we develop and those plastic waste management data, etc., that we uh, develop um, is also not so easy to comprehend. And so we've, we were trying to find ways where we can convey that message um, in a digestible way. And obviously the Earth Overshoot Day has made this brilliant um, idea of, of using the number of days in the year and um, to, to give a date everyone actually can realize, like, what does it mean when something happens in March versus in December, right? And so this is a scale that we are all used to using on a daily basis. So we felt that uh, to give a better uh, vision of what is the extent of plastic pollution, um, this was really a way that everyone could understand. The Plastic Overshoot Day basically is the date after which we have, as, an, as humanity, used up all of the available waste management infrastructure and system. And it means that every other day after the Plastic Overshoot Day, the plastic that we consume will end up directly into the environment. Um, and every country has a different date too, because every country has very different waste management capabilities. But what we felt was an even more powerful way of um, grasping this country-level information is how much of the 157 days of plastic overshoot that this year we will have, is each country contributing? Because it's really key to realize 
that some countries may have a plastic overshoot day that is really early, let's say in January. So they almost basically have no proper waste management infrastructure in place. So you might think, okay, this country is really a huge polluter, right? But actually, if the country uses very small volumes of plastic, like many developing countries um, do, they might actually only participate to a few seconds or minutes um, to the overall 157 days of plastic overshoots. And on the other hand, some countries, which dates are later on in the year because they have pretty well-developed waste management infrastructure. Um, so we could take the example of the US, for example. They will have their plastic overshoot day on the 30th of November. Uh, so about, let's say, one month of plastic overshoot, which is on paper much better than a country that has its overshoot in January, right? But actually, the US consumes so much plastic per capita, and, and it's also a large country, that they do contribute to, to quite a lot on the big picture, um, 4.6 days of plastic overshoot for one country and out of 157 days. That is quite a lot. Um, and so all of those detailed data are really things that we feel consumers and citizens of the countries, but also companies operating in those countries, governments themselves, and uh, the country delegates for the plastic treaty should know, because that influences a lot what they should be doing about it. And so this is what this was really a huge inspiration from the Earth Overshoot Day, um, and then trying to really empower uh, everyone with those information that would be easier to understand than what we usually um, develop in terms of pretty geeky uh, data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you boil that down to the global plastic overshoot day, which you calculated for 2023 is July 28th. But Julien, the story is much more complicated than that, right? And that's also what you want to convey. Yeah, I guess maybe to, to make it very clear uh, what we are trying to do in Plastic Overshoot Day, we have the, the term day, but we also have the term overshoot. And it's really important to understand that one of the key issues with plastic pollution is this mismatch between the capacity we have in countries, in communities to properly collect and dispose from the waste and how much waste we actually put on the market, I would say, or put in the waste bin. Um, and there is a clear mismatch. About 40%, something like that, uh, of the waste globally is mismanaged, which corresponds to these 157 days. In a way, we are deliberately putting more waste on the market than we know the system is capable to cope with, right? So what does it mean? Everything that is not collected and in many countries, a huge fraction of the waste is just not collected because there is not enough funding, there is not enough people, there, there are not enough trucks or waste bins. So the waste is just discarded on the street, everywhere, and it's not collected. And if it's collected in some countries, then it's going to be improperly disposed of. So meaning it's going to end up in a dump site, it's going to end up in a landfill that is not sanitary. And all these practices or mismanagement practices, let's say, 
are leading to leakage because when it's raining, when it's windy, the waste is going to go away and end up either in the soil, in the forest, or in the ocean or in the river, right? So that's the overshoot. So we are living with an overshoot. And basically the message we are trying to give is to say, we must, we must close this gap, right? We must reduce this overshoot either by reducing the amount of waste we put on the market and or by increasing the capacity of the system to cope with all this waste. So it's not so much com complicated, right? It's just we need to acknowledge that there is a mismatch. And as a company, in a way, um, as a country, you should be aware that either you have to increase your capacity or you have to find a way to reduce the input in the system uh, and because this is the way to close the gap, right? Mm -hmm. What I hear in Germany a lot is, you know, practically no plastics end up in the uh, environment from us. We have this great recycling system. We treat our waste properly. Um, You classified the countries by type. And so where does Germany stand there? So maybe just before Sarah uh, can elaborate on the archetypes, um, there are several ways plastic can escape into the environment from a country like even Germany or Switzerland. One way is through littering, because littering in the street still exists everywhere. And this is like a more a be behavioral stuff, but it exists everywhere and it contributes to the leakage. The second aspect and uh, or pathway how waste can escape from these type of countries is through export because we export a lot of waste meant to be recycled uh, in other countries, but sometimes it's just export without recycling. So these wastes, are piling up somewhere, maybe mismanaged, and cause some leakage. And the third aspect to keep in mind is plastic pollution is not only from macroplastic, from packaging waste or waste, it's also from microplastic, uh, resulting from the shedding of textile microfibers, from the, the abrasion of tires while driving, from paint um, abrasion uh, and, and many other sources. And this also contributes to the overshoot uh, and most especially in, in the develop, developed countries with more, I mean, uh, more intense economic activity. Right, right. And how can you manage something that ends up in the air, like uh, the dust from car tires or, or even from bike tires or from, from sneakers or from, um, from the paints on all the buildings that we have? I mean, it's, uh, that's a really hard source to tackle, right? Yeah, for these more diffuse sources, uh, I guess it's almost impossible to tackle this in a end-of-life way, it really needs to be done by design, by better design of the tires, of the textile, uh, of the paint. So we, we try to avoid the shedding of fibers or reduce the abrasion at the source. Mm -hmm. So basically, we produce differently, we design better products, and we don't wait until there is pollution or the products have become waste to then clean them up. Yeah, I, I guess this is a very complex uh, 
a more complex issue. And when we model trajectories for the future, in a way, we can draw solutions for the packaging for, for the microplastics where we end up close to zero leakage. But for the microplastic, it's a bit more, more tricky because we don't necessarily have the solutions or the design ideas in place. But let's say, let's focus on most of the issue which still in terms of, of magnitude and or mass uh, stem from the macroplastic and the, and the mismanaged uh, short lifetime uh, plastics. The macroplastic, which by definition are larger objects, typically a packaging or a textile, a piece of garment, uh, anything which is bigger than five millimeter, uh, that in turn may degrade once in the environment and become secondary microplastic, mainly coming from mismanaged waste. So we have these these very different, some hard to tackle sources. And um, I would think that every country has their own profile as to how, like what, how much of each source is entering the environment, right? Yeah, exactly. Countries have, um, for plastic, a lot of different um, faces, let's say. Some countries have huge waste generation and some others really tiny ones. Uh, some countries have less than a few kilos of uh, plastic consumption every year, while some others have more than 100 kilo per person every year. Um, and then in terms of also how countries are managing their uh, waste. Some export a lot of waste, some also import a lot of waste, some do both. Um, so that's already a very different picture in terms of how their waste waste system works. And then, of course, the waste mismanagement level. And so when when we're trying to break that down into something easy for the countries to understand we came up with this idea of uh, developing country archetypes that are based on those characteristics. And so we have some, for example, that are huge import and export countries. So it means they're really doing trade of waste. Um, and we call them the transactors. They're typically Western countries or rich countries um, who have typically a high consumption of plastic They, they do a lot of trading of waste because there are some that they have um, developed an industry for recycling and others that they don't touch at all, so they export it. So that's one typical archetype that we see a, a lot in Europe. Uh, Germany, for example, is part of this type of countries. Um, then we have some countries which are self-sustaining themselves, meaning they pretty much treat their own waste internally. Um, others who are consuming lots of um, plastic, but they really struggle with managing it. Like uh, Qatar is one, for example, so we call them the strugglers. Uh, there are some who are huge consumers of plastic who are exporting a lot of this plastic uh, outside. So it means that they basically fill up the waste management systems of other countries. We call those the overloaders. One um, example are the United States of America, for example. Um, and then we have those that we call the toxic exporters. The toxic exporters are uh, also huge consumers of uh, plastics. They export it, uh, but in places which don't necessarily have the infrastructure because the place where the countries are exporting their waste 
obviously has a huge impact over the overall plastic pollution that they um, create. So it's we, we made the separation between those who are exporting in countries where it can be well managed versus those who are exporting in places which are just accepting the waste because they do get paid for that, but actually it results into plastic pollution. Um, and then there are the waste saviors, those countries who are uh, treating their waste pretty well, and they're also accepting other uh, waste that they treat well. So they're, as a result, they really are uh, part of the solution, if you wish to, to see it like that. Um, there are those who we call the waste sponges. And the waste sponges are really typically those um, global south countries um, who are receiving a lot of the waste, usually from the toxic exporters or overloaders. Um, and they're absorbing this waste, but it also is creating huge issues of plastic pollution in their own country. Um, and then we have a few more others, the selective exporters, the uh, exporting polluter, and then also the small-scale inward polluters, those ones are typically not managing their waste so well, but at least they're not exporting it further. They're, they're, they have to deal with the pollution from their own uh, waste creation. And so the reason why we created those archetypes is because the solutions to plastic pollution is different for each of those archetypes. Um, you, you don't have the same solutions when you're a waste sponge than when you are a toxic exporter. Of course, the system in which it all uh, evolves is interlinked, um, but there are some typical actions um, that countries can do um, that would work basically in one place and would not work in, in another one. So we, we try to give those high level, very easy to comprehend uh, types of recommendations that countries can just start integrating within their their strategy, basically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I understand it correctly, Germany prides itself for a reason, right? We're in the transactor category. Um, our consumption levels are high, but our waste management effectiveness is very good. Um, we import plastic waste, but we also export it. So we are on both ends. So would you say that Germany is fine as is or Do we also have some tasks ahead of us? There are definitely a lot of things to still do. Um, and um, Germany will have its uh, overshoot day on the 1st of December. So uh, there is still a full month of plastic overload. It's, it actually uh, results in 16 hours of plastic overshoot, which is um, not negligible at all. Um, and the Germany actually exports more waste than it imports. Um, but one of the issues really with those countries that are um, on paper not so bad in terms of uh, waste management, but actually are large consumers, is that they still overload other countries' waste management. Um, and, you know, we know, as Julian was saying, there's this huge um, lack of alignment between the capacity to deal with plastic waste globally and the amounts that we put on the market. Um, countries like Germany, like most of the global North uh, countries, have a responsibility also in being examples at really implementing circular economy. And when I mean circular economy, it's not just, oh, let's recycle our way out of plastic pollution and implement more collection and recycling. Circular economy is also and foremost based on 
reducing the volumes of single-use plastics of short-life plastic, which is really the focus of our report. We, we focus on the short-life plastics um, and replacing it with reusability uh, models, with repair, etc. Um, in, in general, those models will be a huge part of getting out of the plastic crisis. And Global North countries do have the mean to implement such policies. It requires also its own Uh, large infrastructure development, a different type than waste management, but it's still infrastructure development with collection, with systems that work, um, with, in some cases, deposit return schemes and so on. Currently, deposit return schemes in some European countries work, but it's still for recycling. And those same could actually be implemented for reusability. So um, there are there is definitely a lot that countries can do for managing their own waste, for reducing their own waste. And then also, of course, in supporting the countries um, that are currently struggling with the uh, development of their infrastructure. It's, of course, part of a pretty complex dynamic between Global South and Global North. Um, but there are still a lot of countries that absorb the waste from Global North countries and Those are basically filling up the infrastructure that could otherwise deal with the local waste. So uh, there is quite a lot that uh, even the, the, the countries that look good on paper could do to actually really be part of the solution. So that brings us to the stragglers, um, which include uh, countries like Cuba, like Uh, Liechtenstein, Albania, um, but also many islands, um, Tuvalu, but also Venezuela. Um, these are the countries that basically need global support through the Plastics Treaty, right? Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Tuvalu um, uh, during the, the INC2 negotiations in Paris about a month ago. Um, there was one side event um, around basically the development of infrastructure, etc. And there was um, this person from the Tuvalu delegation that was there and that um, showed images of uh, her islands, of basically the dump sites on the beach, etc., that are creating huge issues for communities, for the environment, etc. And while she was speaking, I was checking in our Plastic Overshoot Day Uh, the statistics for this country, and this is very representative um, of those strugglers. So they have a very early overshoot day, the 28th of January. So it means that they have more than 90% of their waste that is mismanaged. But when you look at their contribution globally to those 157 days of plastic overshoot, they only contribute two minutes. And yet they are really the ones that are very impacted by that. And so, you know, it, it's easy to look and to say, oh, like they have such a bad waste management system, they should develop it, etc. When you look at a country that has a very develop, well-developed waste management system, like, like Germany, for example, they contribute, Germany contributes to more than 16 hours, and yet it does not take any of the negative consequence of plastic pollution Or, or, or way less than a small island like Tuvalu. Um, and so, yes, they are the, the, those countries that are uh, strugglers are typically some medium consumers of plastic. Uh, they don't export a lot of their uh, waste, um, but they face huge issues with uh, managing it. And 
that's where there should be some um, collaboration with uh, Global North countries that also have the infrastructure and the experience with managing waste. And there's like really a, a, a knowledge transfer that has to happen as well as a funding transfer because those those countries that are strugglers are very also often um, struggling with uh, adapting to climate change, etc. So unless there's a real yeah support from the the global north countries, um, the, the 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 small islands and and global south countries will continue to struggle as a result of um, a global economy and global system that they had nothing. Um, no responsibility in developing at all, actually. Mm -hmm. What I find interesting is that um, fingers are often pointed to Asia, right? Um, but when I look at your country archetype, China, Hong Kong and Taiwan are actually among the self-sustainers. Uh, so they have medium to high consumption levels, but they have average to good waste management. They don't import anymore, we have to say, with China, and they export very little plastics. So let's look at China. What would China's tasks be? You will remember a few years back, China was uh, finger-pointed as uh, the, the bad students of the world for being the number one contributor to plastic pollution. And shortly after it completely closed the imports of waste from Western countries. That, that was quite a, a shake in the Western world uh, when China decided that. But then China had an opportunity to really implement more of its local collection so that it continues to fill up uh, its recycling and waste management plans. And um, that's also why China has improved quite a bit uh, in the past few years its uh, situation. So... Um, this comes as a, as a surprise for for some, but it's part of a actually quite a um, a, a thoughtful strategy, let's say, in a in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. It's so interesting to look at your country archetypes and look at the list of countries that are included, because you wouldn't expect some of them to be listed in the category that they are. Um, Obviously, we've got like the the countries who have to do the most work are, I guess, the overloaders, which include the United States, as you mentioned, but also, unfortunately, a European country here, Spain and even Iceland and Israel, um, as well as South Korea and Barbados are on this list. And then we've got the toxic exporters, which are just, they just don't really have good waste management. They consume very much and... They also import a lot of waste. And I guess those also have a lot of work to do, including Uruguay, um, the United Arab Emirates, Thailand, Saudi Arabia, um, and many more. Um, but we also have some shining examples, right? The waste saviors. What kind of country type is that? And, and who, who are our waste saviors? Yeah, so the waste saviors are uh, countries which are... Um, basically helping other countries deal with their uh, waste. So uh, they have a medium consumption level, a pretty good waste management uh, system in place, and then they import a lot of uh, waste. So they help basically um, treat the waste that others are creating. Um, and they account for a very small portion of the 157 days. So only a third of a day, so just a few hours 
uh, of plastic overshoots all together, all of those countries. So it includes Costa Rica, Hungary, uh, New Zealand, Sweden. Um, there are not enough of those, basically, right? Uh, they're unfortunately much more overloaders or uh, toxic exporters. Um, but this is also where we would love it if um, countries were, you know, studying a bit more those uh, country archetypes and setting some goals for them um, to to change archetype, to become either a self-sustainer or in the future, even a waste savior. So it's almost like they could be um, a bit of a, an improvement curve uh, for countries. Um, and I personally, I find it fascinating to actually go uh, country by country. And uh, as you were saying, there are some countries that you're surprised to see them in one place versus another one. And uh, in some in some cases, it also push yourself to ask like, okay, why is that? And uh, ourselves, although we we work with those data on a daily basis, um, we go back to it and say, oh yeah, that's that's because this country, although they have a really good collection system in place, they still have so many unsanitary landfills. So yeah, unsanitary landfills are actually a, a mismanaged way for the waste. And so uh, that's why they create so much uh, risk for, for this waste uh, to leak into the environment. And I feel like this is a way of... Um, asking yourselves uh, more questions. And that's what we want to trigger um, with, um, with the plastic overshoot. And you're definitely triggering that for me. Maybe to add something on, 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 on this, because I guess we are, we are now some sort of proposing a picture of the current situation with these archetypes. Uh, but if we try to look a bit into the future, Coming back to, to the example of Germany or Switzerland or one of these countries, we could say uh, that if all the countries were with a similar waste management uh, situation, we would be in a much better situation. I mean, this is one way to look at, at the problem. Uh, but if we re remember that at the end of the day, what we are trying to solve is, is this mismatch between input and output Uh, we can also say that by just trying to solve the issue by increasing the capacity, we may end up in some sort of rat race where we are going to build infrastructure and, and more collection and more infrastructure, which basically means more recycling. Because at the end of the day, we don't want more incineration. We don't want more sanitary landfills, right? So the question is also whether we can create so much recycling capacity uh, which i don't think we can uh, so we even for these countries like germany switzerland we need we need to reduce the consumption and i guess there is at least in my mind some sort of mindset shift that is happening because we are coming from a waste management perspective um, most of us But I think the plastic problem is a double-sided, it's becoming more and more a double-sided problem. On, on one side, we have this waste management issue to be solved. On the other side, we have the toxicity and, and chemical aspect of, of the problem where we are basically in contact with a lot of chemicals because plastic is not one material, it's more than 10,000 chemicals that are mixed together, right? And, and more and more, we see that we have a problem with, with this health or ecosystem impacts uh, resu resulting from this chemistry. And, and that recycling, at the end of the day, depending, I mean, if we speak about mechanical recycling, is going 
to create mixtures of chemicals that are going to be even maybe worse than their original virgin product. So I think we, we must have that in mind. I, I guess in the past we had the recycler people uh, with a mindset of circularity saying, saying we can solve the problem with just more circularity. And we had, let's say, the no plastic people saying we just don't need to use no plastic for many reasons. I guess these two extreme mindsets are going to join uh, together more and more because more and more science is 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 there to show that we also, we it's not only about waste management, it's also about toxicity. And this means basically that we just need to reduce the amount of plastic in the system. Uh, not, uh, Of course, we need to, to build better recycling and better infrastructure, but this will be possible only if we have a decent amount of plastic to, to deal with, I guess. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much to both of you, Sarah and, um, and Julian. It was um, a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Um, I think... Uh, many people might now wonder where they can find your report. You have a website, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's plasticovershoot.earth. Um, and uh, there's a short version of the report uh, with just a few examples of countries and a long version of the report with the 207 or more than 200 countries uh, that they can scroll into. So We definitely encourage people to look up for their country, make more research um, about it, be curious about it, because this is where the conversation starts. Um, we also have a really important two years coming with the treaty negotiations. And um, we know that negotiators and governments are very conscious about the public opinion, what citizens think. And so uh, the more we can have this conversation in those two coming years, uh, the more we can ask for an ambitious uh, treaty that integrates all of the issues surrounding uh, plastic pollution, not just the environmental ones, but also the social ones, etc. The more we are having those conversations, the more chances we have at also ending up with a treaty that is um, at the level of our expectations. So that's why the Plastic Overshoot uh, reports exist. Uh, this is to trigger those conversations. Great. Thank you so much. And I'll be watching the Plastic Overshoot Day from now on, hoping that we will be able to push it further into the year and that it doesn't move towards the beginning of the year even more. Thank you so much, Sarah and Julian. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. This was a Plastisphere Conversation with Sarah Peria, Julian Boucher and me, Anja Krieger. Theme music is by Dorian Roy and cover art by Maren von Stockhausen. Plastisphere is a passion project which I pursue in my free time and without funding. So if you like the show, please support it. You can tell your friends, write a review or support the production costs via PayPal. All the links are in the show notes. As this is a new format, I'm super curious to hear back from you. How did you like it? And if you have any questions or ideas what to cover, do write me to anya at plastosphere.earth. See you soon. <laughs>